0: is Walk and Roll Live. This
1: is Walk and Roll Live.
0: A podcast dedicated to the disabled
1: community, sharing stories of courage and triumph, joy and discovery, and everyday successes and challenges. Now, here are your hosts, Doug Vincent and Eric Aguilar. Hello and welcome to the Tuesday. That means another episode of Walk and Roll Live. I'm Doug Vincent and he's my buddy, Eric Aguilar. What's up, dog?
2: Hey, how you doing, folks? I'm Eric Giegler, coming to you live from the sunny side of Fontana, California. Welcome to another Taco Tuesday.
1: Another Taco Tuesday. Actually, I'm going to Taco Tuesday tonight, going uh, over to the American Legion Hall. And once a month, the Old Farts Racing Team, which is a car club, uh, have their Taco Tuesday and their meeting over there. So uh, we'll be doing that tonight to celebrate Taco Tuesday. So uh, do you have a good week?
2: Yeah, my fiance. Her grandma and all of her siblings, we went to this restaurant in Los Salmitos. It was a nice restaurant. It had a koi fish pond. It had a boutique shop right next to it, plus a couple other shops. And I had me some Louisiana seafood gumbo. Oh, nice. The only thing that was missing was some hot sauce. Very nice. Had you ever had gumbo before? I Not this particular gumbo. I had gumbo a couple of months back from the Snoop Dogg uh, cookbook. And my father in law made it was gold, but the seafood gumbo was something else.
1: Very nice. Very
2: nice. Well, a pretty
1: low-key week for me. I was still kind of uh, recuperating from COVID. Uh, Took a test last Wednesday after our show. Was still positive. But, uh, you know, really was starting to feel much better already. And then uh, took a test finally yesterday and finally got a a negative test. So... uh, I'm back in the game, coach. So here we are. Here we are on a Taco Tuesday, going to do our uh, next episode. Now, I want to let you know we're not going to have a guest today. So what we've decided to do, because we're about three months into our uh, our relaunch of Walk and Roll Live, we've had a, a, a number of, of great guests. And what we're going to do today is uh, just kind of highlight some of the past guests, give you an idea of uh, what the show is all about. And our goal is to have a platform for people with disabilities to share their stories. So, we're going to highlight some of those stories. If you've heard them before, great. If you haven't, uh, you can go back and if you hear something that you like, you can check the full episode. So, first up, we're going to revisit our visit uh, with our co host, Eric. Aguiar Professional Training offers comprehensive organizational development and organizational effectiveness services for corporations, nonprofits, educational institutions, and individuals. What they do is improve work environments in key areas, such as performance management gaps, group interactions, morale and trust building, and team dynamics. To name just a few, using a strength-based approach in conjunction with individual or group coaching, all of the strategies have produced significant results. APT also assists with managing change, improving work processes, training and management of human capital. Learn more at agarprofessionaltraining.com A-G-U-I-A-R professionaltraining.com
2: Hey, this is Eric Kegler. Welcome back to Walking Road Life. I'm here with my buddy, Doug Benson.
1: We're going to get into our recap. Our first one, here from the Aguilar Professional Training Studio, this is a clip from your first show, uh, well, first kind of full show where we get to know you, right? So uh, sit back and enjoy as we get to know Eric Aguilar again.
2: This all began uh, back in the late 80s in uh, 1988, during the uh, golden age of Super Nintendo and Game Boys. I was born prematurely. The doctors took me off the ventilator machine because they thought my lungs were mature enough. But unfortunately, they weren't, which uh, gave birth to um, the origin of my own disability. Mm -hmm. I um, have the um, mild stage of cerebral palsy known as hemiplegia that affects only the right side of the body. And based on the research I found, it affects a lot of your muscle coordination. It goes hand in hand with um, epilepsy, which causes seizures and could affect one's learning disability or speech. I come from a Family of three brothers that have cerebral palsy like me, but their stages are slightly different than mine. Like one brother has it in both legs, which is known as hemiplegia. One has it in one leg, which is known as monoplegia.
1: So that's a similarity in our story, see, that I, I didn't know. You know, you, you have some siblings there. And I, and I didn't really, my brother and I talked about this. I didn't really figure this out until years and years and years and years and, years and later. But, um, and you know, I'm talking decades how important that is to have somebody right there along with you that understands what you're going through. Right. Right. You know, you and your brothers, you can, you can relate. And you know, same thing with my brother and and what I, I kind of compare it to is like, is like twins. Twins have that bond and that connection because of their similarities. And this is kind of the same thing. When you share a disability with a sibling there are so many times that it's like almost like an unspoken thing. We understand what each other's going through because there, there's so many similarities, but, you know, I, I want to make sure that you have all the time you, you uh, need to talk about this. Now, so what in your early life, how did that kind of start to, you know, manifest itself? How did you see any, there were any limitations? What did you have to overcome? Those kinds of things.
2: Well, as a kid, I had very little understanding of the nature of my disability and, one day, I asked my mom, "Why am I so different?" And that kind of, you know, broke her heart and yeah. caused her to cry that I would ask such a question. And in order for my mom to shield me from the truth, because back then I didn't think she really knew much about my disability either or how we can cope with it. Saying, "She said, honey, you're just special." And throughout childhood, I just kind of left it at that. But years later, as I came in through my adult years, I took up medical terminology over at Creighton's College and did a project on my own disability. And what people didn't realize that I wasn't really seeking any uh, cure when I was doing my own research on my own disability and seeking out the answers that I've been seeking all the way back from childhood.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I uh, did the same thing. Uh, I, I forget fifth or it was fifth or sixth grade. We had a science fair and we all had to do something. And I, I did polio, you know, just kind of trying to learn about, It's origins and, you know, how it affects you and all those things, you know. So interesting how those parallels are the same as well. And it's just part of that growing up process, right?
2: And as I grew up, I overcame many obstacles because due to the nature of my uh, disability, doctors told me that I would never walk, talk, or vaguely live past age six. But to this day, I proved the doctors wrong. And as time went on, I developed a secondary disability, which um, indicates that I'm hard of hearing in my left ear. Okay. And then uh, about a couple of years ago, I slipped on some water in the kitchen and landed on my right femur, causing my arthritis in my right hip joint.
1: Yeah. It's so, you, you touched on so many things there. You know, I, I, again, um, I, you know, I don't want to try to. I'm not trying to one up you, but um, it's just not. It's not even up. It's it's parallels. You know, same thing, you know, doctors told me and my brothers that, you know, we would never, because we used to have two full braces, you know, and they said, oh, you know, this is going to be it. And, you know, and, you know, years later through some surgeries and hard work, you know, I only have one brace, you know, for the longest time. And, uh, yeah, so I, I uh, I've learned that over the course of my life that, uh, I, I, now I know why they call it practicing when they talk about doctors, their practice. Because they, it seems like in so many ways, no offense doctors, but as much as we know, it's, there's so much they don't know. There's so many times that you, you hear where the doctors, you know, make these, these prognosis and they, and I've seen more times than not where people overcome them, not going to walk. Yes, we are, <laughs> you know, and we do. So how did you, you know, where did that strength come from that you just uh, to face those challenges and overcame them?
2: Over the years, i um, not only dumb, underestimated, but they were close uh, friends and family members and strangers that I came across in my lifetime. Due to the nature of my disability, even today, a lot of people, you know, try to say, you know, I can't really do much or do anything due to the nature of my very own disability. But then I have a tendency to prove people wrong. Sometimes you know, it, makes them, it makes them happy, and it makes them. Ah.
1: <laughs> so you have a little chip on your shoulder.
2: Uh, I guess you could. I guess you could say that. You know, like, you know, you're my, using it in a good way, though. Like throughout my adult years, I even have a tendency to want to prove people wrong all sure, the time. Sure, sure. And one of the philosophies that I live by these days is that I always say yes when life says no.
1: I hear that. I hear that. And and you know, in the in the brief time that I've known you, you know, it seems like every time we would have a mixer, you know, you've got a new certificate that you've gotten in something, you know, you're, you really have a passion for learning, right?
2: Yes, sir. Speaking of learning, I've always been one of those individuals that's always willing to adapt and learn like the pandemic. It gave me a chance to not only adapt, but to evolve as an individual. And as everything was being shut down during the pandemic, I kept asking myself the first four weeks of being stuck at home, what am I to do to get through this crazy time of uncertainty? Yeah. And so I teamed up with the, um, State Council Developmental Disabilities in San Maradino and started teaching emergency preparedness lectures. And then I went through different instructor development workshops virtually to hone my craft and learn my skills. And I've been doing it ever since. And after being on video chat teaching for four years, I developed a passion for teaching. But when I teamed up with the uh, local uh, community emergency response team known as CERT, and became a me- member of uh, Loma of Possibilities. I started taking a shine to other people with disabilities, and as I think about the um, what you know, what could happen if I had to prepare for a natural disaster or an active shooting or hazardous weather or whatever the case may be, what would I, what would I do to prepare? And that's how I came about uh, wanting to teach um, lectures on emergency preparedness for people with disabilities. And what's really cool is that. A lot of people with disabilities are their own emergency managers. They know what they need or want on a regular basis if it was a normal day. But as you prepare your kids, I look at this as pizza. You know, everybody loves pizza, and I have met an individual who didn't like pizza. (laughs) I mean, sure, it's going to be pizza, but everybody's pizza is going to be different.
1: Yeah. Well, there you have it. Eric Aguilar, so good getting to know you. We learned so much, and there's more if you want to go and listen to the entire episode. You can find it on Spotify and all the other uh, uh, platforms where you get your podcasts, uh, Walk and Roll Live on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and many, many more. Now, next up, we're going to listen to a portion of Judith Diaz's episode. She's a polio survivor and started her life in Mexico before coming to the United States. Well, I got diagnosed with polio when
3: I was only 14 months old. Gotcha. Uh, my mom told me that I was barely learning how to take my first steps and everything when I got polio. Uh, at first she said, you know, I was, you know, always stubborn, but then again, Judy has always been. Stubborn. I was
4: going to say
1: stubborn. that's the, Judith I know. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, no, she said that uh, it, it required a lot of physical therapy. Uh, my mother wouldn't let the nurses uh, do physical therapy on me without her being present. Um, fortunately, while I was in Mexico, you know, getting treated and everything, uh, one of the nurses dislocated my right shoulder. Mm-hmm. So ever since then, my mom did not allow, you know, for me to be alone with the nurses or anything. When it came to that, my mom started taking classes, she studied to be a nurse, so she could be able, you know, to do my physical therapy, to be there for me if I needed, you know, injections or anything. So my mom would be on top of it. So no one would, you know, would pretty much hurt me according to her like they did. Sure. You know, when yeah. my arm got dislocated. So yeah, that's that's one of the things. And then I was like growing up, uh, over there in Mexico, uh, it's called we were in this hospital called Angel de Año. Um the hospital is Angel of the Year, if you translate it in English. Pretty much uh I had over, about I believe ten surgeries there, my mom said. Somewhere around there. She she doesn't remember so much. Uh, mostly on my legs. They had to do surgeries since I was little as I was growing, you know, growing up and my bones were, you know, growing along. Uh, they were my knee was going like a little bit to the side or my leg and things like that. So they had to, you know, keep my bones straight. I yeah. have, I believe about 10 screws on each leg, four on my on the foot. Then I have three on my knees and things like that.
1: So th- and those are still there.
3: Yeah, right, those yeah. are permanent. Yeah, those Do, are going to
1: remain there. Before we get too much further, I wanted to ask. So you, you were born in Mexico. Yes. yes. And, and, you know, I don't want to, you know, get into asking a woman her age, but, you know, you're quite a bit younger than me. When when I was diagnosed with polio, they had just come out with a vaccination. So yes. w- was the vaccination not readily available where you were? Or? It
3: was available, but in 78 when I got polio, uh, it was the virus was stronger than that vaccine mm-hmm. at that time. From what my the stories my mom was telling me about that, a lot of the kids that, you know, got polio too, they ended up in the iron lung. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was fortunate enough in a way that they said not only did I get polio, but I also got guillain barrett at the same time. Uh-huh. At first I didn't understand what Gillian Barrett was. So obviously, you know, when I got older, I started doing research mm-hmm. of what is this, it is, you know, and that's how I learned what Gillian's barrez was, which is it mimics a lot of the things of the polio, but it's temporary. A lot of people could be fine within two weeks, they're fine, or, you know, within three months and so on. So it's not like polio where it's permanent that affects, you know, your bones and things like that. Uh, Polio affected me both on my legs and my right arm too. Yeah, yeah. So that's one of the things that uh, it was difficult when it came to do the physical therapy and everything.
1: So then, uh, as you grew up, how, how how did they handle that? Did they, did you go to school? So no, we were in a special school, me and my brother, until uh, fifth grade is about where we were mainstreamed, as they call it you know, to go into the public school system?
3: Yeah, Well, most of my childhood was in hospitals. Mm-hmm. I grew up in hospitals pretty much. Okay. Uh, from Shriner, I mean, from being, you know, in Mexico, uh, we moved here, I believe we started coming here in 1986 or 87, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I started uh, attending Shriner Hospital for Children. At that time, Shriners was in LA before, you know, now the new location is in Anaheim, I believe. Yeah. So I would go back and forth. I, you know, I would come and then, you know, go back to Mexico. And in Mexico, I did attend regular school. They didn't have, you know, special school for people with disabilities or anything. I was in regular school, but I've never stayed that long until we finally uh, moved down here. And I believe it was in 1990 when we stayed here permanently that's when i started attending but i went to regular school I, I never went to a special school or anything uh the schools actually had this called special ed classes yeah it's just a regular school but they had you know special ed and but mostly it was everything from english you know regular
1: yeah no. that, that was in mexico or once you got here
3: no once i got here yeah yeah once i, I got here i started they first they put me in ESL classes because I didn't know the language. So after that, um, they pretty much, um, if I'm not mistaken, I think I started like in the fifth grade or so. From when I started school completely, yeah, I think it was in the fifth grade. Because when we first got here at the same time, I was back and forth, you know, in hospital and then out of the hospital and things
1: like that. Gotcha. So were you in a class with all the other kids when you were in school?
3: I was in a class with all different, some will, some of them, you know, regular students.
1: So, but you were in a special ed case, uh, class and not with the the rest of
3: the population of the school. Well, they call it special ed because it was more for uh, people who pretty much, I guess, had a not a, a very good understanding of the yeah. subject. So they had a substitute teacher, so they had teachers out first. That's why they call it special ed.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha.
3: Uh, That was only for like two, three classes. All my regular classes, but, you know, with the regular students.
1: Gotcha. Okay. All right. I get it. I think Eric wanted to ask you some questions. Sure.
3: I can understand where
2: you're coming from, Judah, because I remember myself being in a special ed all the way to my uh, junior, senior year of high school, and they found out, uh, that I was what they call too advanced for the uh, program, or so they say, and they decided to mainstream me throughout my senior year of high school. So technically, I graduated a year before my actual um, graduation during uh, high school. Yeah. Because due to the nature of my birthday, I wasn't supposed to turn eighteen until after um, high school. If I if I when, when I when I did graduate.
3: Oh okay.
2: Were there any um. Uh, struggles um, socially or any particular challenges regarding your disability? Because I know um, when it comes down to it, um, people have uh, different experiences and choices on how to uh, adapt with their own uh, disability.
3: Uh, I didn't have any problem until I reached high school. That's In high school, that's when I, I learned what a bullying was or why people look at you different. Um, I used to wear a shirt, mini skirt, You name it, I didn't care. But when I got to high school, that was a whole different experience that I was not, you know, expecting. I didn't think it was gonna be. You know, I thought it was gonna be like junior high. Yeah. But uh, unfortunately, no. Um, And the funny thing that I was being bullied by someone who was actually in a wheelchair. Wow. So that's the first. Like, wait, oh, I wasn't even being bullied by other students. So after that when people started asking about my disability, it was easier for me to say, oh, I got run over. Than actually to say, oh, yeah, I got polio. Yeah. It was, I got run over until, I believe, before my senior year. Yeah, it it was always, I got run over. And even after high school, um, because I I, I wasn't sure if I was going to graduate on time. So my mom signed me up for summer classes, winter classes, you name it, to make sure, you know. And I ended up graduating after I turned 21, because my birthday is on May 29th, and my graduation wasn't until June. So I was already 21 when I graduated high school.
2: Gotcha. Hello, folks. You're listening to Walk and Roll Live. This week, we're taking a look back over the first three months and revisiting some of our guests who had the courage to share their stories many times for the first time publicly such as our friend Leslie who was diagnosed with MS but that was just part of her compelling story take a look folks
1: it's life-changing for you this is a it's like a new person from that diagnosis going forward right 100%, 100%.
4: So yes, I mean, I feel honored that you guys asked me to come on as a guest Um, and it's, I want, I always want to do whatever I can if I'm experiencing something and even if I'm not to help others um, in any way that I can. Um, But yes, the selfish part of me too is, yeah, this is definitely going to help me because I am very private and I do keep a lot of things, you know, close to my chest. And, um, this is just, uh, it's, it's, it has, yeah, it's, it hasn't been an easy road just to go out there and just share my story and, you know, tell people about it because I'm still trying to figure it out and I'm still trying to process.
1: things And that's another thing that I, you know, in, in doing this podcast and coming up with the idea for it was uh, I, I, that's what I hope for, you know, that's going to be, to me, that's a great day when we can, you know, have these conversations and and it can help somebody that's listening and it could also help the person who we're interviewing in whatever they're going through, you know, because we all have our, our challenges and, and, and all of that. So let's learn a little bit about Leslie and where, where were you from?
4: Uh, Well, I was born in uh, Houston, Texas. Uh, That's where my family's from, both my Mm -hmm. mom and my dad's side. Um, So I was born out there. My dad was, my family was living in California at the time. My mom was pregnant. And then um, my dad was transferred out and got asked to do a job with NASA. Mm -hmm. So they relocated to Houston. And then, so that's where I was born Um, But summers were spent back in uh, Dallas and Fort Worth area because that's Irving area. That's where my parents grew up and that's where their family was. So, um, But I still consider myself a SoCal girl because we relocated back to California when I was really young. So that's where I went to school and, you know.
1: So uh, were your folks originally Californians?
4: No, they no. were origin No, they were both origin- born and raised in Texas. Texas. Yeah, my dad went to Texas A and M. Um, he did his master's degree out at UCLA in California. But so they were kind of transplants in California. But yeah. the majority, like I was born in, well, I was born in Houston, but I was still, I still consider myself SoCal because we moved back out here when I was still really young, before I even started kindergarten.
1: Oh, okay, yeah, very yeah. young. So really, before your memories even. Started yes. right, yeah. So yeah, I along. have
4: memories of just visiting like summers yeah. out in Texas and that hellacious heat,
1: <laughs> which is going on now. I hear right,
4: <laughs>
1: yes, <laughs> yes. No, before we actually went live, um, you were saying that it's like index of 120. Is that typical or is this a particularly bad year?
4: I think they're going through a heat wave right now. Yeah. Um, so heat waves, yes, I think it is pretty normal. It's more along like the southern part of Texas, not. In the northern part which is where dallas and you know fort worth are mm-hmm. um, but my son recently relocated you know Eris um to the houston area so he's definitely dealing with pretty severe heat out there right now yeah yeah, yeah. but he's young he can handle it
1: so and then uh, so grow, grew up in california yep and uh now you know i, I met you when we, you came to radio so what did you do before? What was the the life before radio? You were you were in the sales department. Uh
4: yeah, I've always been in um, I've always been in the sales customer service. Um you know, prior to that, um, I was working actually as a patient advocate for a doctor's office. Um you know, insurance claims that were denied. I would just help the patients fight with the insurance company to get, you know, things covered. And um, the majority of the patients that I were was dealing with were, you know, older, um, maybe on Medicare, you know, different things like that. Uh, maybe didn't have family members to help navigate um how to get things done and they can't just be slapped with a bill especially yeah. you know the patients that were on fixed incomes um so that's what I was doing before um really in all honesty what led me to the radio station is I was a single mom I was a single mom you know since my son was 7 and he was getting ready to, you know, I, I had to figure out how am I going to get this kid through college? How am I going to, you know, get him through and not have him come out on the other end, just strapped with debt. Yeah. And um, I love K-Frog, love country music. And I saw that they were hiring and I just thought that was kind of like my gateway, my road to, wow. to get into sales and to just be able to make as much money you know, um, as I could, like as as long as I was willing to work hard, then, you know, the outcome was going to, was going to be there for me to be able to get my son through college. So absolutely. Yeah. And it was a great journey work. I loved working at the radio station. And there
1: we have another inspiring story. Thank you to Leslie for coming on next. We've got a young man who had his whole life in front of him. Things were going great for Eric Eblen. Uh, work was going well. Life was going well. And then life does what it does, and it reached out and snatched it away. Here's part of his story. So you you were into your twenties working, doing all those things, and yeah. So what was the nature
5: of um, your anger? I was in my twenties living large, man. Sounded like, like a bottle of hours. Yeah. Oh yeah, I was ready, I was I was doing a thing, but um, you know, one one day of Little extracurricular activities and some, you know, I was at the King of Hammers, really. So you heard of the King of Hammers?
1: Why? That, yes, it sounds familiar.
5: It's up in uh, Johnson Valley, and it's where uh, the cars climb the rocks and stuff like oh, okay. that. Okay, okay, up yeah. near that dry lake bed, near 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 the rock the side, climbing that end of the, the Johnson Valleys, and you know, I went climbing that earlier that day, went rock climbing earlier that day. And I barely made the climb that day. And then I went for one at night and that's where I woke up 18 days later out of a coma. You know, I fell, I fell 80 feet free climbing. So, you know, um, well, my fault, but (laughs) you know, that's why I don't, I'm not angry. A lot of people are angry, but I'm not, you know, I didn't,
1: you know, and and I appreciate you coming on and being candid and telling your story. And that's, that's one of the things I think we're going to learn if we haven't started to already over the course of doing these is that, you know, everybody's journey is very, very personal. Uh, and there are people that are very angry and there are, you know, people that process it quicker and and there's no right or wrong way. I think, you know, just everybody has their path. And for sure. You know, so I used to cry
5: every time I talked about it. I thought I was good. I'd get in front of somebody at Loma Linda. I'd be like, bah, bah, bah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, now I've learned to digest it a little bit more and deal with yeah. it, you know, in your own way. But, you know, we all, it's almost a mourning process. So, yes. Yeah. At the end of it, you know, so, um, but yeah, I broke T789, uh, collapsed a lung um i had two skull fractures you know my head was shaved when you met me but (laughs) the scars you could see you know i had it was in a coma 18 days uh yeah it was it was a fun ride you know at first so you know you wake up out of that and you're like what (laughs) legs don't work did you have a recollection of the fall itself no, I don't remember anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny. The doctor's like, "Well, good thing you were a little inebriated because <laughs> if you weren't, you know, you would have had so much more of an injury." And I looked at the guy. I was like, "I remember <laughs> laying in the bed, like I made the climb, bro. Like, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, we'd well, have to worry about the injuries.
1: <laughs> That's good."
5: <laughs> interesting uh, yeah. take from that guy you know yeah yeah dr yeah, lee yeah, was know. his name i'll never forget him you know what's funny is when i went to work afterwards he was <laughs> wo- sitting in the same ballard when i went into about he was sitting there and he was like he was like what are you doing here and i was like a man's got to work dummy like <laughs> yeah, so it was kind of interesting same guy who was my physical therapy like pt doctor at Kaiser. but um so yeah.
1: let me ask you real quick too um so I mean, it sounds like you came through it really well.
5: Obviously, really well. But very- well, my head injury was worse than the back injury. Yeah. So my head, I was just like kind of, which was a blessing because I was, uh, you know, I was uh, enough. I was twenty six years old. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was yeah. September twenty fifth, two thousand four. So, uh, oh, excuse me, I was twenty six years old and. I was wild. You know, I rock climbed and I free climbed and I cliff dived and I did, you know, I did those things that adrenaline was my drug of choice. Yeah. So for me to, it's for me to be mild at the, (laughs) in the hospital was a kind of a blessing, you know, but it was me not being me, you know, upset, you know, you have, you know, I lost my sense of smell from it. I've cracked the back, kind of messed up cranial nerve. Number one, the olfactory nerve controls that. But, um, you know, my memory is a little bit different studying through college was a little different, but, um, you know, I was off. And then one day, like, you know, you get, you get home and you're like, I need to go home. Then you get home and you're like, I need to go back to the hospital. (laughs) I'm not ready to be home. (laughs) You don't, you realize that, Hey, yo, I don't have the money to make this house the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. Right. You have to learn how to, Adapt, which kind of helped me to where I'm at now because now I'll go anywhere. What? You don't have a handicap room? Cool. I'll jump anywhere. I'll do anything.
2: Next on Walk of a Life is a young man, Dustin Dell, who had always been an athlete. He was on his way to college to be a wrestler. And one day,
0: while practicing, something snapped. Now, was this in high school that you... No, twenty two. I was just out of just out of high school, getting ready to go back to school. Gotcha. Finish up my finish up a degree, you know, but uh, I'm trying to get on the wrestling team.
1: It, I was going to uh, say, and it was while wrestling. Old. Yeah.
0: Well, practicing for wrestling. Practicing, so it wasn't yeah. Like just practicing with one of my buddies, and I like slipped wrong, and it was like, "Oh God!" And then, uh, oh, here is that story. And then I'm laying there on my back, and I felt like my legs were in the air, like if a dog was laying on his back, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I looked down, I could still move my neck. I looked down and I saw that my legs were flat. I'm like, Oh, got a problem, Batman. Yeah. So this don't got an right. ambulance. No. Yeah. I got in the ambulance, but the crazy part about it, there was no pain. Mm-hmm. My body went in shock right away. I didn't feel any pain. Mm-hmm. I was laying there and talking like, okay, get me up. Don't, uh, when they come in, you know, it was like never dude. It, the break. It didn't hurt. Yeah. It was crazy. I don't know what happened, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm I mean, sure there's, really a, you know, uh, uh, orthopedic doctors
1: and stuff probably could explain all that. But no, uh, nobody's
0: yeah, ever but, been able to explain. It was like, but because that's what I tell people. I'm like, they're like, did it hurt? And I'm like, dude, I felt nothing.
1: It's crazy. So other people that have experienced the same thing didn't feel that lack of pain that you've talked to.
0: I've never. I'm. i have so, in wheelchair circles, it never gets brought up. Nobody cares what yeah, happened Right. Yeah, I hear you. Come yeah. on, dog. Let's go. We got to go. <laughs> you <know>? Yeah, yep. <laughs> you're absolutely right. And uh, it's like, no, because like, I, I told people that, and they're like, wow, that's crazy. But, no, I've never met anybody else who didn't hurt or they're, you know. Yeah, I don't know. because I, yeah, yeah, I never yeah. even asked that question. You know, yeah, We yeah. don't yeah. talk about wheelchair you're, stuff you're, yeah. in wheelchair groups. You're absolutely all. right. Uh, the only people that ask
1: you are non wheelchair, non handicap people, non disabled people.
0: Only yeah. ones. Like yeah, it's like they want to, it's like you're a TV show for them. <laughs> TV's ruined us. <laughs> like ooh, let's yeah. see his TV show. You know they yeah. want to know. It. Yeah, That's funny, but yeah. So that was the craziest part. First bone and it didn't hurt. So yeah, wheelchair life started out. Oh god, it was like it's the adjustment. You're like whoa. Yeah. Because I'm a quad, really. So, I mean, I got all these muscles or whatever, but I'm a quad. So, I got one good hand and one crap hand. And it's a, my lefty, of course, my good hand. You know, it's a right hand man's world. Jesus, everything's hard. <laughs> no. but, were you, so, were you yeah, left handed or right handed before? We don't know because of the scissors situation, you know? Because I do every, I write better with my left hand than I ever did with my right. Yeah. But, but, but previously, you were right-handed. Yeah, so bro- that, right. Who knows? I think I yeah I, I I got forced righty though. You know, yeah. I'm a child yeah. of the eighties. I'm forty five years old, coming up on the first. I'm getting wow. old, man! Jeez. Yeah. So it was twenty two though. Girl. We're doing so. All this right. has
1: yeah. been yeah. This has been half your life, right? Over half your life.
0: Yes, that's the crazy yeah. part. So it's like yeah. it start. It was cool that I think it was you. I mean, for me, looking back on it starting at 22 was better than starting as a teenager because it would already been out of the house. Gotcha. Cause I felt like, cause I feel like now when I see people in chairs, if they don't, if they weren't gone living alone, they're never going to go. You know what I mean? Because yeah, it's too hard. Yeah. It's already hard enough for an able-bodied person to do it for a disabled person to do it though. Yeah. It's crazy.
1: Yeah. Well, there you go. A few of our recent guests, to give you an idea of what we do. We give people with a disability a platform to share their stories, and our hope is that it will help others on their journey. Uh, we'll be back in a moment to wrap things up here on Walk and Roll Live.
2: Don't touch that dial, folks. I learned patience from my adoptive dad. All he had to say was,
1: Hey, you got this. Just breathe. Hey. Hey. <laughs>
5: Pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> might have to start a band. <laughs> I got it. Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. <laughs> Visit adoptuskids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council.
2: Hello, folks. Welcome back to Welcome to Life. I'm Eric Gilliard with my partner, Doug Vincent.
1: So uh, any events coming up this week? What do you got? You got any training? You just got another certificate. Yeah. Was that since last week?
2: Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Let me me dive into that a little bit. Uh, Last week, I did a refresher on mental health first aid. It's more common than uh, CPR. Every uh, three years, I got to do a refresher to to keep my certification for mental health first aid uh, active. It's a very handy tool.
1: Well, congratulations once again. Yeah. I saw your certificate. You posted that online. Very nice. Um, nothing I can think of that's coming up. No expos. No nothing here locally. Uh, you know, as always, if you uh, in your area have something going on, an event from an organization that you are uh, involved with have an event coming up, and you'd like us to put the word out, uh, would love to do for uh, do so. Just shoot us an email. Warlive w a r l i b e at walkandrolllive.com that's our email and also you can find us on facebook at walkandrolllive.com or you can go to our website walkandrolllive.com and there's contact information there where you can get a hold of us as well. Uh so that pretty much does it. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh you can find us all over the place. Uh, you obviously found us if you're listening to this, but tell your friends and neighbors like, share, follow, do all those groovy things. Thank you to Agar Professional Training for sponsoring our studio. And I think that's it. Any uh, closing remarks there, Eric?
2: There's something I've always been thinking about all the time. Sometimes life could be like a tidal wave. You can't stop it. You can't control it. But sometimes you just got to sit back and enjoy the ride. That's the way the cookie crumbles. We'll see you later, folks.
1: Walk and Roll Live is heard around the world at Walk and Roll
0: Live.com, Podbean, and Spotify. Like us at Facebook.com slash Walk and Roll Live. You can email us at War Live at Walk
1: and Roll Live.com with comments, observations, or whatever's on your mind. Whatever's on your mind. Have a topic you'd like to hear or a guest you think would be great for the show? Let us know. Look for new episodes every Tuesday afternoon. Thanks for listening.